This is episode number 170 with Laura Coe. Success 101 Podcast. This is your host, Jared Warren. At each episode, my goal is to bring you a new concept or idea to help you maximize your full potential. Thanks for joining me here today. Now let's kick things off. We're back. Welcome back, everybody. I am so excited to be here today. And as you can tell, I'm just so fired up to be here with you guys. And I'm so fired up for what the Success 101 Podcast is doing worldwide. The podcast is now being downloaded every 30 days in over 120 countries, and I only have you guys to thank for that. My faithful Success 101 podcast, loyal listeners, you guys that have been there from the beginning, and some of the new ones that have joined on. We welcome you as well. It's been an awesome ride. I've enjoyed it. I know you guys have enjoyed it. And if you think the podcast is awesome, head on over to iTunes, give it a five-star rating, give it whatever rating you want to, But if you think it's awesome, the reviews and ratings, that is what's going to help Apple get this thing more well-known as they put it on more featured lists and get the word out to other people. Some of you are still asking out there if my book, From Success to Significance, is still free. The answer is, yeah, baby. My team is still offering that thing for just the shipping cost if you're in the United States. Or you can buy the e-reader if you're outside the United States, as I know many of you out there are. In a few episodes fairly soon, I'm going to be going back through a section-by-section breakdown as we continue to plow through the six vision-building exercises, as well as the five components for creating your strategy to make 2017 an incredible year, not only for the things you guys accomplish out there, but the way you set habits around creating goals and your strategy around accomplishing more in the future. If you want your own copy for free, just covering the shipping in the U.S., head to success101podcast.com forward slash the dash book and in the promo code enter success101 and you'll only cover the shipping cost. Outside of the United States, check the ebook reader and we'll get one of those right out to you by email so that you can start following along. Now, as I mentioned to you guys, I'm in a great mood today because I've got an awesome guest here on our podcast. If you haven't heard about Laura Coe, it's about time you did. So here's a cool story that I heard about Laura long before I got her on the podcast. She is a huge proponent of shouting about pursuing her dreams, but that was not always the case for Laura, as you guys are going to hear today. In fact, there was a very pivotal point that she recalls on a plane ride where she's got tears running down her face and she had it all on the surface. She had everything that most people out there looking at her life would associate with achievement and success. I don't want to give too much of this away, but she built a multi-million dollar business. She sold it to a Fortune 500 company, and a lot of her life was just clicking on all cylinders. All the boxes were checked, you could say. But underneath, something just still wasn't right. As many of you guys out there have written in and told me before, you made a very pivotal shift to now do the things that you love in life. So what's the deal? Why was Laura so unfulfilled? Her pursuit of success wasn't based on any sort of an inner sense of purpose or fulfillment but on everybody else's definitions of success. On that very plane ride that I just mentioned, she made one of the most important decisions of her life. She committed to finding something more authentic. She now takes those ideas that she's learned from her past achievements and helps others through coaching, through her podcast. And her hope is that everyone can uncover whatever it is for their life that makes it run on all cylinders and that they define as successful and truly meaningful. 
We definitely had a ton of fun in our podcast, and I can't wait for you guys to hear this. So without any further delay, it is my absolute honor to bring Laura Coe to the Success 101 podcast. Hey, Laura Coe, welcome to the Success 101 podcast. How are things today? Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm glad to have you on. And we don't get a lot of stories like yours. Every story is dynamic. Every podcast guest that I have on has something new to share. And that's why I'm so excited most of the time to get that message out to our listeners. But I was really excited to get you on because it's such a non-traditional or non-practical story that you have. Number one, starting in business at a very young age and then learning how to turn that into success. So there had to be some early youthful maturity there that I think a lot of people have to really cut their teeth and grind on for a while before they get into a position of having that success. But then really finding your path by doing some self-searching, self-evaluation, and then realizing how passionate you were about that and how impactful it was for you and becoming a coach and teaching others about that. I know that your real success story around just helping others and what you love to do and what you're fulfilled by I normally don't start off with the question of let's go all the way back and tell us your history. I I think that might be a little bit overdone in the podcast world today. But I think with your story, it's very crucial for people to really understand where you came from, how early you started in business and with success and really where you didn't just take that success and build on it. You actually found new pathways, as I mentioned, which I think is fascinating. Why don't you take the ball and run with it from there and just let us know what happened all the way back then that has led you to who you are today? Sure, sure. I love kind of that deep dive backwards. And if there's anything you want to stop me on, feel free, but I'll, I'll sort of uh, give you the overview. Absolutely. You know, not to date myself, but we're going all the way back to the mid nineties. Uh, so man, which really doesn't seem like that long ago when you think about it. Right. And then you do the math and you're like, wow, okay. We're a little ways out of the nineties here. <laughs> Tell my body that when I do a really hard workout, I seem to be feeling it more and more these days, but <laughs> Yeah, I was a, a actually a philosophy undergrad and graduate student, which I think is important to mention just because of the path that I eventually got on later in life. It was the 90s. There was no internet yet. What to do with that degree was close to impossible to figure out. There wasn't things like coaches and spirituality books and that stuff wasn't really around yet. So I dumped my passion, sort of lost soul seeking, like, what am I doing And my father and brother were starting a a business. My father was a leading expert in the healthcare. Uh, He's a doctor. He figured out once you have kidney stones, how to make sure you never get them again. If you are somebody suffering with them out there, it is curable. And we decided to- What I'd love to know is how we never have to get them in the first place, because I hear they're just awful from everyone who's had them. Is there a way that we can make that happen? (laughs) (laughs) You know, there isn't a testing to sort of precursor check out who can get them and who can't. Yeah, wow. I know. People always want to know that. Well, he came up with the next best thing then. Women who have had babies and kidney stones say prefer to have natural childbirth, just uh, as a point of reference for the pain there. Oh, I gosh. know. So yeah, we took basically an intellectual leader in a university setting. And we said, how do we take this to doctors nationally and commercialize this product, uh, which was just a you know single doctor system. It, it worked really well. What's unique about my dad is he started databasing in the 70s. So it was a tech-based system dating all the way back in the 70s. And uh, so we had this really cool product. My brother was 26. I was 24. Uh, We were dropped in this office. Like my dad's an old school dude. He was like, figure it out. (laughs) And yeah, we sort of stared at each other. And every day we would just make stuff up, try to figure it out. Again, you can't Google search. You can't, you know, check out your competitors and throw up websites in a day or two. So um, it was definitely a huge challenge to be 
that young with so little mentorship and, you know, left with the responsibility of your father's life's work, right? I mean, this isn't something you sure. can play around with. Yeah, no pressure, right? And and what was your main role at 24? I'm curious, what primary role did you have there in the company? You know, I was very lucky. People say all the time, how did you work with your brother? We're like a perfect Venn diagram. We just absolutely have completely different skill sets that overlap perfectly. He took on strategy, sales, finance, you know, that sort of big picture stuff. I took on from there, how do we ground the airplane is sort of how I thought about it. We take the ideas, bring them into life, decide what product, how they get designed, bring the right teams in and make it all kind of happen. So wow. all the, the mainline departments ended up reporting to me. So yeah, it was, it was great. We built up the company for 10 years. We serviced doctors in every state in America and I really loved entrepreneurship, you know, unlike philosophy, which was, you know, you're asking these bigger questions all the time. I had something you could get results. You could get the outcomes really quickly. We could right. help people. It was, it was really, you know, just a lot of fun, really challenging, uh, really difficult. But ultimately, 10 years in, we sold the company to LabCorp, which is the second largest lab company in America, a $4 yeah. billion dollar business. Wow. And suddenly we found ourselves, you know, this niched out boutique business at part of a company of 27,000 employees. So, And did you retain any any leadership position, management position, any sort of position there, or were you just kind of done at that point? Yeah. yeah. So this was like the classic entrepreneur story. I was brought in contractually for two years. I couldn't leave. And they held out some of the the payment of the business for us to hit milestones to make sure we stuck around. And I mean, I hated it. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I was so free-spirited <laughs> and entrepreneurial and here I am. And I'm in constant meetings. I mean, it was like a conference room of conference rooms. So, you know, my last life, we would say, let's just rebrand the company or let's, you know, change directions. When we would just do it that day, my brother and I would get in a room, we'd make decisions, make it happen. All of a sudden, we had come up with a way to treat patients with chronic illnesses, and we were able to take it from kidney stones to other disease states. So the company that purchased us wanted us to do this in multiple different diseases. We were working on the next one, and I was on my 52nd version of this order form that we used because there's so many people that work there that I just kept getting the wrong information. And I just like put wow. my head down on the table and I'm like, I can't take this. <laughs> I got I to figure out something else. Holy cow. Yeah. So I guess you were 20, I mean, uh, 34, 35 around that time when you decided to shift direction. You know, it was more like, you know, some people I think have like those moments, those decisions. Yeah, it was around, around my mid thirties. But for me, it was kind of like this nagging sensation, right? Like slowly, I don't really love healthcare that much. I liked being an entrepreneur a lot, kind of missed that passion of the philosophy. I was a yoga teacher on the side and that sort of, I don't know, nagging sensation. This isn't it for me. Kept getting louder and louder and louder until I became an executive. I was a vice president at the Fortune 500 company. And it was like, I just couldn't take it, right? I was sort of like at that absolute break point. Right. Yeah. And that's right. when um, I made the decision to leave. And then, I mean, where do you go from there? You had your dad's legacy. You guys obviously maintained a good role in the company and kept it growing enough so that someone had eyes on you and bought the company. And now you find yourself in this contractual role, right? As you said, it's kind of the typical entrepreneur story. That's why I ask if you had to maintain some sort of position there. And then were you asking yourself in some ways, hey, this nagging feeling of just not being fulfilled and just needing to go do something different. But was it like, man, where do I go from here? Started off at this at such a young age, developed it. Now what? Yeah. You know, it's like I read your backstory. I think there's so many people who feel this way. I was so burnt 
out. I mean, I was working so many hours. I had had my first child. We get that knock on the door to sell our company, which is supposed to be the greatest moment of your life. And I'm, I mean, it was so difficult and I'm up all night with my son and, you know, (laughs) new mother and all of the success that had built up was eventually just really causing me to, you know, be stressed and miserable all the time. I'm making more money. I have more stuff, right? <laughs> like, so from the outside, my life looks better and better and better. But from the inside, right. I'm, I'm really starting to like crack. And so, yeah, it was just like this nagging, like, this isn't it. I've just got to find something more authentic. I kept saying that over and over and over. And I don't know what at that time, why I kept saying that word. And that's obviously become a big part of my work with the, uh, the podcast is the art of authenticity. And the book was about that. But at the time, I I don't know what there was just that stirring. This isn't it, and I'm I'm working so hard. How can I be so unhappy at the same time? Right? There was something really disconnected there. Yeah, and it's so key that you recognize that. Uh, whereas many people just get confused and they feel like they hit a brick wall. As you know, you didn't have any answers as far as what do I do next, but you just had enough answers to know that something had to change. Something had to be different. Something away from healthcare. I want to kind of take a time out here. I'm just. I'm thinking through a few things here. And one of the things was, is you hit the nail on the head. You said we were selling the company. It's supposed to be the most, you know, enjoyable moment or the the best moment of all the hard work and all the blood, sweat and tears and everything that you've put in all the cliche phrases there. Right. And it wasn't, it was in unbelievable stress. It was, you know, all the descriptions that you mentioned there, how much of that, because I hear that more and more from entrepreneurs today is this whole idea. I don't know if it's the American dream or just the entrepreneurial spirit of, work, 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 create, fulfill, it's hard work, but you love it. And then you sell and you're able to reap your rewards, you know, that you've put in all this time for more so nowadays. And I don't know why this is more so nowadays. I find that more people get to that point and it's just this sort of sorrow or this stress, or I don't even really know how to describe it in this moment, but you hit it right there with your description. Do you think that that's a byproduct of what our society, our work world today, all the noise that we have all around us of what we're supposed to be doing or told we're supposed to be doing to be quote unquote successful? How much of that culture around us that's been created that maybe was never supposed to be that way or wasn't that way in former generations? How much of that do you think is leading to those moments of just stress and sorrow when things should be, you know, huge celebration? Yeah. I mean, this has become my sort of obsession point, right? I definitely think it's cultural. The question to me starts to become, what does it mean to have success, right? I think our grandparents, to your point, many of us came from other countries. It was build a life, have a house, you know, pay the bills, have healthy children, allow them to prosper and, you know, not be discriminated against. Now the question is like, when is enough enough? When is it big enough? Right? I mean, when you sell your company, and this is a true story, we sold our company and the download happens, this huge sum of money just gets transferred into an account. And all these years we had been waiting for this moment and it happens in like a day and it's like kind of surreal to be honest, right? Like you're not even taking it in and you're saying to yourself like, wow, this is really happening. But the next day I had to start integrating with this larger company or I'd lose the back end. So we were like, well, we can't celebrate now. Right. And then our friends (laughs) sold their company for like 50 times more than we had sold ours for. And so you're just like, was that even successful? Like I thought that that was really successful. They sold it for like a billion dollars or something. This other. And so what does it mean to be successful and why do we wait? We also tie our fulfillment and happiness to when we're successful. Right. And I think those two things 
are what cause so much unhappiness. What I wish I had known was that the moment of quote unquote success of the moment of the sale or whatever it is that you're waiting for, it's a day. It's a day of your life and you're still the same person the next day. I mean, I did the normal stuff, Jared. I ran out and bought a car and I was like, okay, now what? Right? Like, it's like, I'm still there. I just wish I had celebrated each and every day along the way, which is something that I'm a huge, huge fan of. And we can talk about what I mean oh, by that. I'd, I'd love to. Yeah. But I think that, and, and just the recognition that, you know, celebrating each and every thing along the way and that defining success in what you really mean, because all of a sudden it becomes two houses, the third kid, right? It's uh, not good enough. I need a fourth car. What does it mean to you? And why are you pinning yourself to those things? And yeah, I don't know absolutely. that people and, would answer that. Yeah. Yeah. And people that aren't, you know, there's different personalities out there when it comes to money. I know a lot of entrepreneurs that make, you know, great money or have sold businesses and rolled that money over somewhere else. And, you know, there's just, they can go out and build wealth, right? I mean, they can just go and just start putting ideas down and build wealth, but they're very frugal. They're very cost conscious when it comes to money, you know, just very much in that entrepreneur cash is king. Let's, you yeah. know, let's save it up mindset. So even if you're not the person out there, there are a lot of people doing that, buying second houses, buying their fourth car, doing those sort of things. This affects everybody though. People that don't need to have the next thing or don't need to have whatever, they're still sitting there going, am I successful? Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? And I think we are so confused nowadays. And it almost seems like the more successful people I talk to are the people who have just, you know, kind of a that resume where you can check so many boxes of things that they've done. It's almost like underlying. They're confident in what they do. They're proud of what they've done. They've got a lot of energy behind what they're doing. But the more successful they are many times, I've found, the more they're looking back at their life going, is that enough? Should I be doing more? Where should I be moving to now? Yeah. And yeah. I just think we've got to find a way to cut that noise out. And I hope you talk a lot about that today here in our, our message. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I think is missing. Success is, you know, can be defined as buying the house and getting your children into a good school, having children, getting married, right? That's not happiness. That happiness and contentment and fulfillment are a completely different thing. And so a lot of successful people are looking around their life going, I don't get it. I did all the things I was supposed to do, and I'm not feeling the feeling that I thought would come with it, right? There was supposed to be a sense of I've arrived, like I'm here, I'm all knowing, right? Like whatever it is that you think is going <laughs> right. to happen, but right. it's not like that. You're not climbing a singular mountain in your life, getting to the peak and then sitting down and, you know, being like, I made it. And so the art of finding an authentic, meaningful, purpose-based life is something that you're navigating indefinitely. And it has really nothing to do whether you've uh, gotten that last promotion or, you know, found the person of your dreams, right? Those are a completely different thing. Those are just, you know, finding how to build your life in, in a way that is meaningful to you. Where do we stop saying yes and start saying no? And how can that help us be much more successful? Because I find that many people are struggling with that. As I just mentioned, they are saying yes, even sometimes to themselves of thinking they've got to go do, 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 or do the next thing. And again, it's just noise that for the best descriptor I can give it here. How have you learned that saying no and really focusing on what matters has even made you more successful? Yeah. So I coach a lot of people and they're, you know, obviously they've got a certain amount of success in their life, but they're looking for some more fulfillment. And, you know, they've taken on a ton of different things and they're asking themselves that question, you know, why is it that I don't feel better in my life, even though I have all this success? And one of the things we talk about a lot is how does something get on your yes list, right? How do you decide that it's a yes? When you start off, if you're a, an, a driven, success-oriented person, 
you just say yes a lot, right? Yeah. Most of us yeah. will say like, in my 20s, I just said yes. And that's a great thing to do. It helps you build at the beginning. And why not? There aren't a ton of opportunities at the very beginning anyways. You know, just say yes for a little while, build skills. But there's a certain point where you've built up success. You've invested into yourself. People have invested into you. You have skill sets. And there's more opportunity coming to you than time allows for. And you're saying right. yes, but is it strategic? Is it in line with what you want, right? And right, all of a sudden your life kind of takes on this force where you're saying yes to a bunch of things. You're building this life based on those yeses, but is it truly you know, what you want? And that's how I think you wake up one day and kind of look around and go, how did I get here? <laughs> so I ask people to really step out of that scarcity mindset if I don't say yes, maybe there won't be another opportunity. So I want to keep saying yes, because that's where I believe that comes from. And start to challenge yourself, you know, what's a yes? Why? What are the things that are meaningful to me? And I think the best way to do that is to create like a personal mission statement. You know, what is it that I do? What are my goals? Just like you write a business mission statement, do one for your personal life, right? Like, what is it that I want? How do I define success? How do I decide what I do and what I don't do? And it's something that you can play with, change year over year, but it can really help. You know, you just really summed that up really well whenever you said that in your, you know, early 20s, maybe early 30s, just say yes. You know, that's what's going to lead to success because that's what I've mentioned to people a lot is that so many people out there are saying, you've got to say no more. You've got to say no. And they don't put that other part on it, which is when you're younger, saying yes is actually a huge help. It gets, mm -hmm. gives you a lot of horsepower out of the gate. It gives you a lot of opportunities. It helps you discover and define what it is you actually want to do. I know you were really successful at 24. I don't even want to think about what I was doing back when I was 24. I know I wasn't running a, a business, uh, right? But at the end of the day, it's like, okay, we've got to say yes many times. And I don't know if anybody can tell you when that time is that you have to start shifting. I think it's something that just like my story and maybe yours, you find out and you know, wow, there's not enough time for the opportunities coming my way. And that's a great thing. And those opportunities may not have been there if you hadn't said yes so many times. But we have to start getting better. Again, just back to this whole getting the noise away idea. We've got to start getting better at whenever we start feeling that. Many times when we start feeling a little bit of burnout, we're already further into it than we realize. But at that point, I think it's so important for our listeners to hear that you have to start segmenting out your time on your calendar. You have to start you know, holding it sacred or you're going to fall into that trap of continuing down what feels right, which is to say yes to so many things because it has led to success, but then mm -hmm. you're going to end up just putting yourself in the dumps by doing that. Absolutely. And the big question is, why are you saying yes after that point, right? When your calendar's full, you've got a certain amount of success in your life. Is it for approvals? Is it because you don't want somebody to be mad at you, right? Yeah. Is it because of ego, right? Like, oh, that talks the big talk. I can't say no to that one. Does it, even though it's a big talk, does it matter in your career? Is it something you need to do? So, you know, that starts to get kind of complicated. And I think that's why it gets harder and harder to figure out what yeses and nos are, because often we are saying yes for reasons, fear, right? Approvals, all these different things. And it's, uh, it's not clear to us why we're doing that in the first place. Yeah, it goes back to what we said a few minutes ago, which is the society around us has made us that way, but we've got to make the choice not to stay in that mindset or yeah, it will yeah. wreck us. It'll I wreck know, our we all grew up with like, man up, that's it, right? Like, suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. 
and I think the hard thing is, is that again, while we're saying yes to things, maybe in a new career, even if we're not in our twenties or thirties, but we start a new career, we have this, I don't know, midlife crisis and we change, you know, paths in life. We feel like, okay, now I have to say yes to everything again. Maybe not, maybe not. And I know that's what you work with a lot of people on. Tell us what emotional obesity means to you. Yeah. So kind of what we were just talking about. So I, I woke up, I had all the success. I had left my job to go find something that quote felt more authentic. <laughs> I was quite arrogant about it at the time, to be honest, because I was like, I got money, I got resources, I've got skills. I'm going to figure this out in 10 seconds. I'm just going to like, go get me some authenticity, right? Like it was really <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> like, I'm just going to step out. It'll all come together. And I found I was just going in circles, hitting my head against the wall, uh, coming up with the same outcome over and over and over, which was I was applying the same logic. Let me leverage the skills from my previous positions into my next choice and make that happen because that's the smart thing to do. And so emotional obesity came out of this, the book I wrote, and it's this idea where were all those thoughts coming from? Where was that mindset coming from? It was coming from the thoughts in my head that I had layered on, you know, year over year over year of doing things for all sorts of maybe really smart reasons, right? Maybe other people approved of it, maybe out of fear, but it wasn't necessarily being driven from my truth, my deeper self. And that part of me was taking over my whole life. So the emotional weight is the thoughts in your head that come from culture, from family, that rule your decisions, and your life is being built by that instead of from your your own desires. Yeah, but it's so hard to say no to those things. I just, I've gotten, you know, <laughs> I'm a 180 degree difference from where I was, you know, earlier in life where that was the case. And even if I knew there were certain things that I had taken too much on my plate or you know, sometimes I would thrive in that when I was younger, like we mentioned, and say yes to everything. But then when I started realizing that it was too much and the things that were enjoyable were now becoming a drag, I knew it, but I still couldn't say no to some of those things. Yeah. And I think until you just absolutely get completely, for lack of better words, worn out and the pain of saying no is a lot less than the pain of saying yes, many people aren't going to change. Yeah. You know, it's such a great question and something I've been thinking a lot about lately. Like, do people have to hit a wall? Can you prevent people from, you know, going through these crises to turn their lives around. I really hope, I, sometimes I think of my work as like midlife crisis management or, <laughs> right. or midlife crisis prevention, right? Because I work with some younger entrepreneurs and I'm really hopeful if they can get this stuff embedded into the way that they think early on, hopefully they don't have to, you know, put themselves so far out over their skis before they recognize you know, this is not acceptable, right? I'm, I'm having anxiety. I feel dread all the time. I feel fearful constantly. We don't want to get into those states. It's not healthy. And there's really no reason for it. But because of our egos constantly telling us, suck it up, you're fine. You've got to do it. We tell ourselves all these reasons why we justify these decisions we're making. We can't really get out of that loop. Yeah. I would think with someone with your profession, that would be your absolute passion and desire is what you just said. How do we keep people from getting out over their skis? Is Does it have to be burnout? I think the only way that's going to happen, because until you, until you experience it, you don't really know many times that you should slow down or you don't know the degree of to which you should slow down. You have these feelings coming on and you go, ah, you know, it's nonsense. I'll just keep pushing forward. I know that's what it was for me. And I would love to hear some actionable steps for that individual who is listening in today that says, you know what, I'm, I don't really know how to gauge this. I haven't 
been an extreme burnout. I never want to go there, but I am starting to feel just the lackluster or the not as excited anymore or the, you know, the fatigue of what I'm doing now. Am I heading that direction? What are some real actionable signs that people who are already in this burnout phase they can do to turn things around or people that are about to start heading there and need to recognize it for what it is to where they don't have to experience that to make a change? Can you give us some actionable points of those two scenarios? Yeah, for sure. So I have a handful of them I'll go through real quickly and you can check out my work if you want to hear them in, in more detail. But 100%, ask yourself the simple question, what do I really want? Okay, so simple. And then sit quietly, just take a little space, get a pen, ask yourself, what do I really want? What do I really want to do? If money and time and other people are not in my way, what do I really want? And if you hear yourself answer that question or be unable to answer it, and then immediately start to rationalize it away, that's definitely a sign that you're pretty far out over your skis. When we can't start work within our truth at all without starting to say, yeah, but that doesn't make sense. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but uh, other people wouldn't, you know, approve or I have a mortgage. I, I'm stuck in this position, right? We say all sorts of things when we ask ourselves what we want. So that's a great way to start to see where I really am in this process, how far over I am. And that's if you find point. that that's, uh, if that's happening to you, a couple quick things you can do to alleviate that right away. One is something I call micro truths. People come to me and say, Laura, I want to like change my whole career, right? Like, and I'm thinking, okay, I wish I could get that done for you in whatever six sessions you signed up for, but that's a big question <laughs> because it really requires you to get to your truth, what you really want. What if you just try to live in your truth for one day? How does that sit with you? Can you be honest with yourself? What do you really want for dinner tonight? <laughs> and I know that sounds a little bit like ridiculous, right? Like, come on, I can say I want pizza but I don't want to eat pizza because I'll get fat. And it's like, no, 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 I don't mean all that. I just mean, you don't have to eat it. You don't have to, you know, then go work out because you ate your pizza. I'm just asking you, can you sit with what you really want and make peace with it throughout one day? I need to take a break for five minutes. I really need to go for a walk. I'm totally focused at work. I don't want to answer my phone. Just be honest with yourself. It doesn't mean you know, you don't have to be respectful to others or, right, like <laughs> somebody says something contrary to you and you have to get into a fight with them. Just be aware of it. And how hard is that for you to do? But it can be a really cool exercise to start living in your truth more often. And then the last thing is to just start to celebrate the things in your day-to-day -day life. Um, this is my absolute favorite. People always think I'm a little crazy until they try it. But I swear to God, this works and the science really backs this. Most of us have lists, right? Jared, you've got a list. It's probably 60 deep of things you want to do. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I got a list. Everybody's got a list. And if you're, you know, a parent, your list can have lists which have lists. Most of us start our days and say to ourselves, oh my God, I'm behind. I have so much to do. I'm going to try and crush through, right? I hear entrepreneurs all the time say, you know, I'm going to just like crush it today. I'm going to just, you know, heads down, right? Is it like a big yeah, thing? Yeah. Yeah. All the time. Uh, all the time. Right. You get to the end of the day, you look around, whatever you've done, it's not enough. You go home, oh, I'm still stressed. I can't believe I didn't get as, you know, I want to get these 20 things done and I got 10 things done. And you spend your days and weeks and months feeling behind. If you switch that psychology, just try it one day before you tell me like, I can't, that's silly. I'll become a slacker. Take your list at the beginning of the day. First of all, if you don't have a list, 
make a list. If you have a list, make sure to every Monday, break that list down into, you know, what you're really going to do that week. Don't look at a list of 60, pick the five things that you're going to get done that week and focus on that. And then whatever you're going to get done on Monday, plan it out, do it, and then celebrate that moment, right? I waited to celebrate the sale of my business. I waited 10 years to really feel it. That day came and left really quickly. If you can start getting in the habit, you have a really important email to send out, right? You type it, you email it. Yes, did it. Done. Awesome. Great. Have a little moment. Like you don't have to, you know, pop champagne. You don't have to like go overboard. But can you just give yourself that little break? Because it will make a huge difference in your life. I find that so many people are really just for lack of better words, very poor when it comes to celebrating when they are in the entrepreneurial space or anything with autonomy where they're really in charge of making things happen. I don't know why that is. Uh, It seems like someone who is so geared toward making things happen would be able to recognize when they cross that, you know, cross that off the list and they can really feel good about it. But it's almost the opposite. They're so geared toward crossing things off the list, but then just being so hard on themselves whenever they do it. And it's just leading to our sabotage. Well, you just hit the nail on the head. The whole concept of that person, because I was that person, I can speak firsthand by, but if I'm hard on myself, it's going to push me harder. I'll be more driven. I'll get more done, right, is the mindset. And if I'm not hard on myself, if I do what, you know, I just mentioned, celebrate here and there. Okay, got that email out. Nice. Got this done. Great. Got this finished. Oh, it's the end of the day. Awesome. I got everything done. End of the week. Amazing. I can like relax a little this weekend. I don't have to work, you know, 14 hours. They think I'll lose my edge, right? Yeah, you and every- get soft. Yeah, I'm going to get soft. And everybody talks about their edge and their peak. But science, philosophy, spirituality, it doesn't matter where you look. It all tells you the opposite is true. That internal dialogue of negativity, it's like a balloon that has a little hole in it. It is constantly draining you, right? So here's my favorite game. Anybody out there that's in a relationship or if not, think of like your best friend. Think of the things you're saying to yourself that negative dialogue to like push yourself to that next level. Imagine you wrote it down on a piece of paper and your wife gives you a big hug from behind and just spends the whole day whispering that to you. (laughs) How long before the divorce papers? (laughs) Man, that is, uh, I've never heard it put that way before, but it feels, I mean, it feels about that detrimental. And once you recognize it for what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So how is that, is that, would that drive you, right? Would that make you more successful? No, absolutely not. Yeah. So why would we think because we're saying it to ourselves, it's helpful, right? It's just this myth that we bought into. In fact, if you externalize it and talk about your wife and you tell her the things you got done, she's like, hey, that was great. That's motivating, right? Yeah. Yeah. As long as we register that, because for so many years, whenever my wife or anyone would tell me, wow, you're doing this, you're doing that, look at all these things, I would go, yeah, but I'm not doing these other things. I've got to get better at this. Yeah, I see how you would say that, but I really slipped on this that I wanted to get accomplished. So I think it's, you're exactly right. It's two part. It's recognize, having someone celebrate with you, but then actually allowing that celebration to take place and not sabotaging it a second time, you know, further. That's right. That's why doing it internally and celebrating that within yourself is the key because nobody can help you feel better. And that internal dialogue I know everybody thinks, I had a client who tried it and she felt so much better. She was like, my God, this is amazing. I feel so calm. And I'm like, how did you do in terms of work? She's like, I crushed it all week. I was like in that flow state because I wasn't being critical of myself. And I was just like 
pounding through work. And I'm like, so you got more done? And she's like, yeah. She's like, I have a secret though. I got to tell you. And I said, what? She's like, I feel like I'm losing my edge. <laughs> like, you just told me you got more done. You feel really like, right? So it's it's just some game our ego plays with us. You got to ignore it and just try this. It really oh, helps yeah. a ton. We are very interesting creatures. And I think the things that we tell ourselves are the things that are right. Like don't get soft on yourself. Don't lose your edge. Those are the things, as you just mentioned, science, absolutely. Research, all of that just absolutely says completely false. Yeah. And the faster that we can realize that and people with a message like yours that are helping so many people out there realize that are what we need to thrive even more and hit peak performance. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important. And, you know, we want to think about the last time you got a ton done, you're in a flow state. You're not screaming at yourself, right? Like that yelling and and negative self-talk, it actually interferes with getting a ton of work done. Yeah. Yeah, we can be almost, you know, more youthful. And I mean, we age ourselves so much whenever we've got the stress that we're harboring and the the self-sabotage and all of that negativity. And until, you know, I'm I'm with you. I wish people could figure that out before they get there. But for many, you know, many times, most of the time, I would say until they feel it for what it is and go enough, many times you don't make a change. Laura, what someone that has the mindset that you do about this, you know, information and teaching others about it. I would believe you've got to have just some extremely healthy habits and maybe more so just non-negotiables is what I would say. And you you probably have many of those. But what are some of your non-negotiables, the incredibly healthy or strong habits you've learned to build into your life that have, you know, helped you further realize some of these things and other realizations about yourself? Yeah, um, just day-to-day habits. Yeah, I um, I luckily grew up with a father that was, you know, prodigal. He went to college at 15 and you know, finished in three years. So I got to be around somebody who was, you know, one of those people we put on a pedestal. And what it taught me was those people are like that from birth. And you want to try not to put yourself in the same lane with them and be somewhat reasonable. But it also showed me he slept 12 hour days. Like the guy, you know, he's like world famous, but he slept all the time. He went for walks. He didn't deprive himself. I think a lot of the stuff that we're reading on the internet wake up at 5 a.m., have to have your jogging shoes right by your bed, must jog, must work for between six and eight, right? Like it's so overwhelming to think about those rituals and those rituals themselves start to wear out entrepreneurs and, and um, you know, successful people or anybody out there that's trying to make it for themselves because that becomes its own pressure. So a non-negotiable for me is to not be too worried about these rituals use them when they're valuable to me and not when they're not. So I just want to put that out there right away. These things are not, you know, they're not the reason that I'm successful, right? They're just things that have been helpful. But sleep is critical. I always get eight, nine hours of sleep. I like. Oh my gosh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I just get just, that's it. I can't handle anything less than that. Um, I'm a terrible person when I don't sleep. <laughs> I um I found yoga. I'm an athletic person by nature. I found yoga. Um I do some meditation. Really changed my life. Anything that um going for walks, journaling, those kind of things, anything that can help you kind of go inward and turn the phones off, find that centered space is really important that has helped me a ton to have a uh, yoga practice for 15 years. And I eat really I'm, I'm learning so much right now about <laughs> yoga and just the benefits, because especially, you know, not to be stereotypical, but as a guy, we just think, oh, you know, let's go throw around weights all the time. Mm-hmm. It's helpful for your ego, I think. And it's helpful to get the, you know, pass the time by and think you're actually accomplishing a lot. But I think 
you know, there's so much that I'm learning about yoga is it's almost like, oh my gosh, you know, we could be so much more youthful in our bodies and the things that we do if we, you know, if we did more of that. So I'm totally with you there. Jared, you may be uh, one of the first. Jared, hold on. I got to interject this one thing. Like I'm flexible like a guy. So I just want to put that out there. I'm, I'm totally <laughs> inflexible. And I've been more of like an athlete, athlete, like soccer and stuff. I went to yoga after going to the gym. I was like, I'm going to go try a little yoga after I do a real workout. I walked in, I got crushed in this class. So yeah, um, amazing. I, I know it has this image of breathing and, and sitting quietly, but it's an incredibly good workout. Really tough. Yeah. No, it really is. And I think more guys need to know more about it out there. And even when I started introducing more yoga type stuff on the podcast, I would even, you know, kind of cringe a little bit and go, gosh, how is this going to be perceived? And I, know. I just don't even really care anymore. It's like, it's my podcast. I'll say what I want if I think it's beneficial for people out there. And I I'm just know. finding so much value in it. But yeah, you may be one of the very first people. I think you are the first person, not maybe. I think you were the first person to ever come on that says the routines, all these things, wake up early, you know, most of the time you you hear the rah, rah, rah about that, how incredible a morning routine is. I mean, if you go back and look at some of my earlier episodes that just have horrible audio quality and I sound horrible, <laughs> but people are like, don't take them off. There's so much good information there. <laughs> it talks a lot about the morning routine. And whenever I tapped into a morning routine, how incredibly life-changing that was. Mm. But you're right. Somewhere along the way, like if you, in the busyness of life, if you put the demands of your on yourself of oh, I didn't get up early enough this morning. I, I missed my alarm. And now I'm starting now I would have been so much better if I got up an hour earlier and got all this stuff. Now you start putting the same burdens that were really crippling you from work or career or whatever. Now you're putting that on you about your morning routine. So I think that's awesome advice is you've got to find some balance there with appreciate and work toward having that routine built in because it really does scientifically. I mean, it's just getting your morning going. It's just an incredible way to live life. I think, you know, to, for lack of better descriptors there, but when you start realizing that you're almost working as hard to try to make that perfect, that it becomes a burden. Yeah. Again, saying no. When do you say no? And I think there's some things that are good out there that just sometimes you have to start saying no to because of the way you're treating it. Yeah. I'm glad you came back around to it. I just, I've been a little bit on a, of a tear about this lately because I've coached so many people on this topic and it came, it comes up so frequently. These routines are amazing and it is really great to get a start on your day and, and be healthy and you know, have, I am very regimented in certain ways. Um, when I wrote my book, I listened to the same playlist the entire time, if that tells you something, but it <laughs> yeah. got me in this zone, you know, and it was just great. And it would play on repeat a hundred times in a day. It's just, you got to find what works for you and not beat yourself up. There's so many routines out there that there's this uh, desire a little bit to, I don't know, right? Like, you have five people that you really admire and you start cherry picking all of their routines and putting them all into yours and flipping them around every other month and saying, Oh God, I really should eat microgreens or I should, you know, like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it becomes like a compulsion in its own way or, or a way of feeling bad about yourself that you're not getting it done. So just yeah. find the stuff that works for you and really supports. If you're getting the outcome, you're feeling better, you're more successful, the things are going well in your life, then you've got a great routine for yourself and then try to stick to it. But if it's stressing you out, right, it's probably not the right one for you. Try something else. Uh, it's huge. And I learned that early on. Other people's routines, though they look extremely successful and maybe that's helping them, that does not mean it could be, but it does not mean it has to be the right routine or will be the right routine for you. Yeah. Everyone's a little bit different there. Yeah. Laura, I appreciate your wisdom so much. You're helping so many people out there. As we're wrapping up here, I mean, I feel like we could go on and on. <sighs> I would love to know, and I don't want to, again, 
going back to cliche questions that are overdone, I don't want to cross that border here, but I think I'm about to. I really do want to know, though, <laughs> what do you think you would go back and tell yourself at 30 or 35, whenever you realized you were unfulfilled, all this you know, work that you had done was now coming to an end, you had to go find another path. What do you think you wish you knew then that you had later learned that you wish you knew then and already learned before that you could share with our listeners? Yeah. If you're at a turning point moment, you're looking for, you know, a change. The number one thing that I can advise you on is I spent two years working in a way that I call like outside in, and I flipped it to inside out. I was looking out into the world, trying to figure out, you know, is this right for me? Is this right for me? Is this right for me? And then trying to make myself fit into that model instead of starting with myself. What do I really want? What excites me? Where am I most uplifted? And dealing with all that noise that I'd mentioned earlier, right? Like, oh, I feel that's not the right answer. I'm judging myself for it or whatever. And like peeling back all that noise and just allowing myself five minutes. There's a great system you can use. Take a timer, set it for three minutes, write down everything you love to do. Just everything like a data dump. I love cooking. I love climbing, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just write it down. Anything that you're interested, excited in, it turns you on, you know, what you're looking for is often closer to you than you realize. You're just not seeing it because you're working upside down. So that to me was the number one thing when I learned, I've got to start with myself. I've got to get clear about what do I want? What are my talents? And not my talents that I've cultivated over a career, but what am I really great at doing? I created that personal mission statement. For me, it was the intersection of philosophy and spirituality and how to bring that out to people in a way that's practical. And if I can use tech and design, that's awesome, but not necessary, right? So that was my little like <laughs> mission statement. And, you know, I was like, well, where in the world is that most needed? Oh, I could do a podcast. I could write a book. I can coach. And it was really easy once I flipped the model upside down. That is so cool. Working inside out. I think so many people are going to be able to breathe easier once they actually just let go of the fear of, again, getting soft or what if, if I do this, just rest, you know, just rest in being you and what fills you and what makes you stronger because it, it will. Again, so much science and research backs that and we just need to be hearing more and more of that. And it goes so well with my message of success 101. People think that's just a, a catchy phrase. There was an, there was intention behind why I named it that. And it's getting back to the basics, stop running ourselves ragged. And we're actually going to be so much more successful by doing that. But it, we've got to get back to the you know grassroots level of what is going to make us thrive. And it's not just going to beating your head against the wall as most people are doing out there. So Laura Co, thank you so much for your time here today with us. Where can we turn more listeners toward you and help them find more about you and your work out in uh, your website or the world of social media? Absolutely. You can find me at lauracoe.com. If you're interested in the podcast, uh, it's The Art of Authenticity. And I am somewhat active on Twitter. Uh, it's Laura and my middle initial S, Laura S. Co. Yeah. So love to hear from you. Send me a note. I answer all my emails, laura at lauracoe.com. That is great. Well, thanks so much. We, uh, gosh, this, you said it's a, it's a journey, you know, but along the journey, we can celebrate so much more. So I took so many notes away from this today. And thanks so much for your time with my listeners. And we wish you the most continued success as you teach more people about how to say no and become a lot better by doing it. So thanks so much. Thank you. I loved coming on and thanks for all the work you're doing. Take care. Bye-bye. 
Hey guys, I enjoyed having Laura on the podcast and hope you guys took a ton away from her message of not only following everyone else's perceived definition of success and achievements, but truly finding out what makes your life tick and what gets you out of bed each morning to live a more passionate and fulfilled life toward even greater successes. Why? Because they are yours. If you guys would like to connect directly with me, the best way to do that is by email, and that is info at success101podcast.com or in the world of social media on the Success 101 Podcast Facebook page or on Instagram under the name at Success 101 Podcast. I can't wait to see you guys back here for our next awesome episode, and I hope you keep pursuing your successes and achievements that really make your life tick on all cylinders. (laughs) 